Welcome to Hot Off the Press, a podcast that provides knowledge and emotional support for new and aspiring printers. I'm Jillian of Studio Soprano. And I'm Mariah of Mariah Creates, and we are two letterpress printers who believe in sharing our knowledge and learning together. We're here to help bridge the gap between antique printing methods and modern design. So hang up your apron, put down those palette knives, and let's get into what's hot off the press. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Hot Off the Press. I'm Jillian from Studio Soprano, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Mariah from Mariah Creates. In today's episode, we are wrapping up our Getting Started series, and we're going to be telling you all the things you may want to consider stocking up on when setting up your shop. Yeah, so if you've already bought a press, we are going to go down the list of all the things you will need or you might need, or hopefully you'll just enjoy using like we do. (laughs) Yeah, and full disclaimer, I think it took a while for Mariah and I to acquire all of these things for ourselves. However, looking back, probably would have made our lives like a little bit easier um, if we got most of the basics covered. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of this stuff that we're going to talk about is available at like your local hardware store. Like it's not anything too crazy, but some of the stuff is super specific. Um, You may also be like me and end up getting some random bits and pieces with your press when you get it. Um, A lot of printers, you know, sell it kind of all together. So you definitely want to go through what you have and see what's there before you go out and try and buy anything that you might already have. Because uh, yeah, I've done that. Mariah was just telling me about the fact that she has gauge pins yeah. <laughs> from when she bought her press and she didn't remember. <laughs> yeah, I literally didn't know I had them. Um, I don't use them, so it's not something that I, I probably saw them when I got it. I was like, cool, whatever. And um, yeah, so anyway, they're just a little relic I'm going to collect now. And uh, yeah. yeah, they're there if I ever need them, you know? Nice. You should make a little art out of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure... <laughs> I'm sure the letterpress groups would love that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's dive into literally the bare necessities. Like absolutely you won't be printing without any of these things. (laughs) Yeah. The first thing is definitely your press. Yeah. Hopefully you've already got that. But if not, you know, you can prepare by going through this, uh, this episode. Yeah. Yeah. So most times your press is going to come with all of its moving parts, even if they're not moving super well, because it might need some maintenance. But I guess there are times where people are selling a press that may not have like a chase even, which you need to be able to set your form, your base, your type, whatever it is that you're printing, you're going to need a chase. If your press didn't come with that, you would have to pick one up somewhere. Yeah, and those are because they're removable from the presses, um, as, like mostly in the case of platen presses. But if if something is removable, it's very possible it gets lost along the way, right? So you know, it's one of those things that you sometimes end up with extras, and that means that somebody else out there probably is missing one. So you know, they're easier to find because they're you know shippable and they're not like crazy heavy or anything like that. So, you know, they're easier to find and easier to source. Um, They can even be machined brand new uh, because they're not like 
they're not super height specific or anything like that. They obviously there are measurements, but um, you could definitely get one machined if you really had to. So there's a lot of options for that, but hopefully your press comes with it anyway, but it's definitely a necessity and not something you could just do without. So have to list it here. Um, Yes. No matter like what you're printing, you're going to need like some way to hold it into the press. Like the chase is really the only thing that holds what you're printing into a platen at least. Um, So yeah, so need that bad boy. Yeah. And then next on the list, once you have something to hold a a form, you're going to need something to put ink on that form. And uh, so we're going to include rollers and trucks in the next uh, as the next item on your list, because rollers, um, a lot of the older ones have disintegrated or lost their shape. They might have a flat spot. Um, or in some cases, the trucks and uh, the rollers combined can cause inking problems. So new rollers are always great, but just make sure the ones you're getting, if you're getting some, are in really good condition. Jillian recently <laughs> replaced hers, so I'm sure she's got lots to say. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a whole other episode. But uh, yeah. absolutely important. And what I, the one thing I will add... Um, When I got my press, the rollers looked like they were in amazing condition, and I ended up not replacing them for about two years. However, I do think I probably should have done it a bit sooner because there are really small irregularities that may be hard for you to see that could have happened from, you know, the roller being leaned up against a wall or left on top of your form or sitting on top of the ink disc. Really small things that to the eye, those rollers, even when I sent them back, I was like, do I really need to like have these refurbished? Can I just hang on to them? But ultimately, I knew they were not perfectly cylindrical anymore. (laughs) So definitely check your rollers. And uh, if you are putting multiple rollers onto your press, it's best to have trucks that are all the same. Some trucks are metal, uh, in more like recent years, 3D printed parts have become accessible for presses. So you might get some 3D printed trucks. Um, but if you're going to do that, make sure you're buying six for all three rollers. Or if you only have two rollers, buy four. Um, actually, just buy six anyway. You're going to want them. You're going to need them. But don't try to like mix and match because even the smallest discrepancy is going to set off your your roller height. Yeah, totally fair. Pain in the butt. (laughs) They can also wear it down at different rates too. So like, you know, if you were to get two different materials, like one set was plastic and one was metal, like that could be a problem too. So just get all new, they're they're also, they're pretty inexpensive. Like, you know, you'll probably regret trying to save a few bucks by keeping two of the old ones and all of that. So yes. um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, and on that note, there is also a handy tool called a roller gauge out there. And that'll tell you if your height, your rollers are at type high, which we all know is 0.918. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so the roller gauge will tell you like based on how much ink ends up on the gauge itself, um, will tell you whether your rollers are at the right height or not. So, you know, if you have rollers and trucks, maybe you buy a roller gauge to just make sure that everything is on the right track or, if you don't have rollers and trucks, maybe you don't feel like you need a roller gauge, but you know that is a good option to have uh, a good tool for your toolbox um, to make sure that everything is inking up correctly and getting the right amount of ink onto whatever you're printing. So it uh, may save you some struggle and strife later on. Yeah. I do not own a roller gauge. <laughs> you know what's really funny is I own the roller gauge and Gordy 
is he's not made to be type high. So it's actually like not in my favor. I had That's to really funny. I had to DIY a roller gauge. So maybe I'll send you mine. Yeah, I mean <laughs> I don't know why. I just I never got one. I I'm all for buying random things that I don't need. So for some reason I just decided somewhere along the line that like I didn't want one, I guess. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. But I should probably check it out. Um yeah. yeah. Okay. So you've got all these things. You've got your press, everything is you've got a chase and rollers and a roller gauge. Um you need to maintain your press as you use it. And if you got your press from a barn, uh from somebody who hadn't used it in 10 years, you're definitely gonna want to oil it up. Um that's gonna definitely uh help your press endure some more years after you've had it and it'll make printing a lot smoother and hopefully quiet down your press a little bit and less clunky noises. Yeah. Yeah. You should definitely oil it before you print. Like, honestly, even if you got it from a pristine condition, like oil, oil that bad boy up. It probably needs yeah. it. A little thirsty. How often do you oil your press? Because I, I'm very sporadic about oiling my press. Um, I feel like I should probably be more consistent, especially because I have a counting machine. But I tend to do it like every like 500 to 1000 impressions. But I don't know if that's a lot or like not a lot. Um, I would say that's probably not a lot because I don't have a counting machine. I know that I definitely do thousands of press impressions every month and I oil mine like maybe every four or five weeks. An amount of time goes by in between me oiling unless I hear something that doesn't sound right. So you think it's like a couple thousand in between oil ups? Well, I'm definitely not the expert, so I'm not sure. No, but that's what you do? Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, no, no. No, mine is more like time-wise. Like if it's been a month or a month and a half, then I'll oil it. Like, and I always know because I print better mail. So like, honestly, I usually oil it like every other better mail cycle. So that's actually like every two months, depending on like how on top of my game I am that month. I would say that I probably oil it at least every month because – some of the things I do are larger volumes. So I try, I think also because I have the counting machine, it's easier for me to track impressions rather than like try mm-hmm. and track time. Um, so that works for me. But um, yeah, you just kind of have to, I guess you just have to figure out what works for you. You know, whatever schedule works best yeah. for you in your press. <laughs> um, and good luck finding all the oil spots. That's a fun game. Um, but yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Sweet. So, okay. So you, you've got, all the essentials, you can start printing. So let's talk about the things that you will need in order to do that. The first is obviously some ink. Gonna need some ink to ink up that plate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so like the ink comes in different sizes. You can get smaller tins and tubes and all kinds of options. You can buy them as a bundle with like the basics. You could buy one ink and start there. Like you don't have to buy the whole Pantone, you know, color, color options, but um, you could just start with black, for example, or bright pink, whatever works. Yeah. And also you might be wondering like rubber or oil. And honestly, it's going to be your preference. I would say the rubber inks for sure have a lot of forgiveness to them. Um, Oils tend to skim over. And so you have to be like really delicate about like getting oil out of the can or whatever um, and all that stuff. But 
I have used oils recently and I feel like they washed off my press a lot easier. Yeah. So like that was kind of nice. I agree. I feel like oil-based inks have some advantages, but I don't – I, you know, I've never mixed oil-based ink. I've only used like pre-mixed colors in oil-based. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know how that all works out. But for those who don't know, metallic colors are almost always – I don't know of any rubber ones that exist. They're all oil-based. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, neons are also oil-based, I think, as well, uh, at least the ones that I get. And so those come right out of the tin or the tube, and they're ready to go, the color that you need them. So you don't have to mix them with other colors. But yeah, I feel like they wash off really easily. So you know, if you're the type of person like me who tends to leave their ink on the press and clean up the next day, uh, you're definitely not going to want to work with oil. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> again, to each their own. It depends on, you know, your style. And if you're super meticulous about cleaning up that night and, you know, if you're going to be doing a lot of metallics or printing on coated stock or, you know, whatever have you, um, you know, maybe the oil is better for you. But um, you could also get a little tin of each and try them both out and see what you think. Yeah. Yeah. I would actually say that. That's actually a very good recommendation. Like instead of getting multiple colors, like pick a color, maybe even black and get a small thing of rubber and a small thing of oil and just see which one you like more because you will want to make some level of commitment unless you want to drop bank and stock your shop up with all the color options in both. But I feel like not many people do that. Yeah, probably not. I bought the basic pack that had green, yellow, reflex blue, black, and transparent white, and then slowly have added all of the – and warm red. You're right. Yeah. And then slowly have added all of the other ones that I've needed. Yeah, me too. I I bought like the – I think it's six colors right away, and then – added on things as as I went um, and as various projects called for them or if I wanted to try something or whatever it was. So I think I have like, I certainly don't have all of the 18 Pantones, but I do have a good, I think of all the inks that I have, I probably have 18 or 20 different colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also have a couple of pre-mixed ones, which was like a huge revelation to me. Um, I have four colors that I use consistently in all of my greeting cards. And so I got those four colors pre-mixed so that they're super consistent. So anytime I reprint cards, uh, which, you know, or use a design, they match the envelopes that I use for those cards, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a fun, a fun upgrade, uh, you know, when the time, when the time is, is right for you. That is brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's pretty revolutionary. (laughs) I like seriously, one of the best, one of the best investments I've made. It's, it saves your sanity. Yeah. All right. So you got your ink. You're probably going to want a nice little ink knife. It's going to help you get the ink out of the can. It's going to help you mix it all up. Um, I really like the thin, like, bendy ones, personally, because I think that it's just easier to mix. But I bought an ink knife from a letterpress site once, and it was, like, very stiff. So maybe I ex- mix my inks wrong. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think they come in like different like – I mean they obviously come in different like widths, but I think they come in different like thicknesses too because I yeah. feel like some of them are more flexible like you said. Some of them have like a sharper edge than others too. Um, You could use like – so if you were going to find one of these, like obviously you can find them at like hardware stores and stuff. You can get specialty mm-hmm. ones that are specifically made for letterpress printers that have a handy little notch on the other end to help you open the cans of ink. So there's – you know, there's variety out there depending on how much you want to spend and how specific you want to be but uh yeah a simple tool but very much something we use every time we print for sure 
Yeah. And I would say, you know, save yourself some time and get like a couple of them, especially if you're just getting like the inexpensive ones at the hardware store, like just grab a couple because when you're mixing inks, you want to make sure not to like cross contaminate cans and you may think you've wiped all of that blue off of that ink knife until you go and dip it into the yellow can and you're like, yeah. no. Yeah, I have a little hack for that I'll share at the end. But um, yeah. yeah, I think having like I think I have a couple and it's just so nice to have an extra one on hand because you like if you're mixing multiple colors, like, you know, just to be able to have a couple like one for each color is super helpful and not have to clean it 28 times when you're mixing the color, adding more to it, remixing it, trying it on the press, going back and like, you know, I yeah, have extras. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you want to be super specific when you're mixing ink, you may want to get a scale that goes down to the gram um, because all of the Pantone recipes are formulated to a percentage. So depending on how specific you want to be to the recipe, you're going to need a super specific scale. Um, and most of like the kitchen food grade ones work well. But um, yeah, there's lots of options out there. And uh if you're going to mix by eye and by or or measure with your heart, you know, then you don't probably don't need a scale right away. But definitely down the line, you may want to consider that, especially if you're trying to match Pantones uh, for other designers or for, you know, specific clients, that kind of thing. So, yeah. OK, so for make ready. So once you got your ink mix and you've got whatever it is you're going to print, your press is ready to go. It's all set up and oiled. There's a lot of stuff that goes into what we call make ready. And that is literally making the press ready to print your, your form. So you're going to need uh, a lot of people use tympan, which is more traditional p- uh, material. It's an oiled, I guess it's oiled paper, right? Like that's what it is technically. Yeah, I think so. It's oiled to resist the ink. So if you accidentally print on it or if you print on it on purpose, it's not going to like leave residue on your paper or anything like that. You could wipe it off a little bit easier than regular paper would. Um, We both, I think you and I both uh, like to use acetate. I like that it's clear and you can put things underneath it and also that it wipes off super easy. You know, that's kind of a nice modern alternative, if you will. And then underneath your make ready where you're going to have all your packing material to make sure that your paper is getting the right amount of impression. Um, You may want press board to start off with. uh, So like a harder chipboard, something like that as like a backup as a, as like a base layer. Um, And then you can add other types of material on top of that to, to, to truly make ready. Yeah. On top of the tympan is another thing that you're going to need to some capacity, as we talked about earlier, Um, Mariah has some sitting around, but she doesn't use them. I don't use them either. Uh, There's probably a lot of printers who are rolling their eyes at us really hard right now, but those things are called gauge pens. And if you are going a very traditional route of setting your platen up with Timpin, then the like traditional metal gauge pens are pretty dope. They slide, like they kind of slice the paper and they slide under and they sit in place and um, they don't interfere with your artwork. They have like a really small footprint, so they're pretty great. However, if you're using acetate, they're not super friendly because it's just a pain in the butt to like get them to cooperate. So we actually use foam tape with some more acetate on top of it to create a gauge. <laughs> a little acetate sandwich, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> we create nice little acetate sandwiches and and they even sell ready-made pins, gauge gauges that are made out of foam tape. Like you could buy them. Yeah. I don't know about you, Mariah, but I DIY mine because 
I always need like the tiniest little bit of the tiniest little grip bit on my paper. Yeah. 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 So what I like about the acetate versus gauge pins or any alternatives is that I can cut it. I can cut like a corner off or part of it off or make it really short. So like if I'm printing like almost to the edge of the paper, I have a lot more room to play with, um, you yeah. know, because it doesn't need that much to hold on to your paper when it goes into the press. Um, it's just a little bit is enough to keep it in place um, and bring it back from the form when it re- when it like returns. So, you know, it, I like the acetate because it's a lot more flexible and you can kind of, you know, hack it up a little bit and make it work for you. Yeah. And I guess we should say if you are running a flatbed press or you're considering buying a flatbed press, gauges are already incorporated into your press. And the tympan would probably be the best option for you, right? Because the tympan goes around the drum. Um, I think a lot of them have acetate though. Oh, is it? Yeah. No, you can put acetate on the cylinder. Yeah. The ones I printed on. Okay, great. Yeah. It, I think a lot of them have like tympan underneath and then they have acetate over it. But yeah, same idea. So um, for the cylinders, you can, I think you can still use either because you're not relying on gauge pins on a cylinder. It's grippers on the roller itself, on the roll itself. Right. So, you know, the acetate is totally fine no matter what you're printing on a, on a flatbed press. Sweet. So you probably know by now that Jillian and I both primarily, almost exclusively, slash exclusively use photopolymer plates to print. So that means we can take any design of any kind and make it into a plate, and that's what we print. Um, so you have kind of two options you can go when you're printing letterpress, and that is lead type or you know metal blocks, that kind of thing, uh, or wood type. And photopolymer plates. So regardless of which route you decide to go, maybe you mix it up, um, you're going to need uh, furniture and coins to help hold your form into your chase. Um, So coins are basically a little locking device, essentially. Uh, Most of them expand in one way or another to uh, make sure there's enough pressure, enough tension to hold your form into the the chase itself. And uh, furniture is just essentially pieces of wood, sometimes metal, um, that you can build up around your form. So if your form is small and your chase is big, you have to fill that space somehow. And that's what furniture is for. So with the addition of the coin, that's kind of the final piece of the puzzle. The furniture is the is the bulk of it. Um, and then your form in the in the middle there. So those two things, furniture and coins, are going to be necessary. And it doesn't matter what you're going to be printing. You're going to need at least some furniture and a couple of coins. Yeah. When I first got my press, it didn't come with anything, like any accessories. And they were using like a DIY MDF base that was already like super indented and like was no good. So I went and I bought an actual metal base, but then I didn't have any furniture to lock it up. So Zach like trimmed down a bunch of like little pieces of wood and yep. then he, he 3D printed a very very basic thing that operated like a coin like you just turn this nut and it would like expand I think that's pretty Uh, incredible to be honest like yeah (laughs) I I definitely have used random pieces of wood to uh in, in place of furniture especially at the beginning um but yeah the building your own coin is pretty incredible um that that kind of blows my mind I mean really it's like you just need like a screw and like that kind of like you know structure to it but um Mm -hmm. i'm still impressed and uh yeah i i on the other hand ended up with my first press i didn't have any furniture for that so that's where a lot of the diy stuff came into play for me but 
um my big press i actually got a whole like furniture cabinet with it which is amazing i have like plenty of sizes and different widths and everything available to me now so um if slash when I do print with type, it's uh, it's a lot easier to do when you have all of the tools and pieces that go with it. So, yeah. All right. So, Mariah. Yeah. Let's say you're going to print with some type. Yeah. What do you need? Oh, boy. There's a ton of things you need. <laughs> so the beauty of type is that, you know, it's historic and some of it has little nicks and bumps that give it an individual character. Um, lead is fairly soft. Sometimes it's wood type, not lead type. But either way, you know, it it has its very, like, unique personality and every letter has a little bit of individuality to it. So that's what makes it so special. Um, there's also some really cool, like, borders and embellishments and things that are available. Um, so lead type can be really fun, but it definitely requires a lot of little bits and pieces and the lead, like the type itself is already little bits and pieces, especially if you're working in smaller font sizes. But, um, yeah, beyond the type itself that you want to use, you're going to need, um, spacing material, which doesn't, as though it sounds like it would, it doesn't usually come with the type. Um, and it is specific to font or type size. So whatever point font you're you're printing with, you're going to need matching uh, spacing material because they have different like heights. And I'm not talking like from print surface to the back of the piece. I'm talking like from the top of the A to the bottom of the A. So you have to have like, if you have 12, 14 and 16 point type of one font, you're still gonna need three different sizes of spacing material. And those are literally the spaces that go in between words and you use those extra spaces to line up paragraphs or sentences, um, try, like for example, if you're trying to center a paragraph. So that's definitely a necessity. And uh, like letting, which we're all probably familiar with the button to do that in any of the Adobe suite, but the <laughs> physical form is flat pieces of lead. There is also wood sometimes. I don't know technically, like I think you're supposed to use lead, but I, I'm not the expert. So yeah, you're definitely going to need some of that as well, especially for printing actual type, not just like, you know, embellishments and borders. Um, it'll be super necessary for actual words and sentences. And so letting goes underneath. Yeah. So letting goes like under in between lines. Exactly. And it comes mm -hmm. in different thicknesses. So you'll probably want a variety. Um, but it also sometimes you can buy it in long strips and cut it down. So like if you only need a short little piece, you can probably cut that off a longer piece. Um, and they make like cutting machines for that, but it's a soft material. So not overly complicated to do that. Yeah. Lots of little things. And I think that's it. I mean, obviously you can get like, you know, galley trays and uh, different varieties of fonts and all kinds of stuff to go along with that. But those are the kind of the basic three points of anything you would need to get printing with lead type. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then if you wanted to go a little bit simpler route, you can print with plates. So whether you're printing with photopolymer or even like you could get adhesive backed magnesium plates, copper plates, all that stuff. If you are not using type or forms that are full depth, you're going to need a base. And there's different heights for bases and different sizes. And that's all going to depend upon your press and what type of plate you're going to use. So basically, your plate plus your base you'll want to equal type high. All of those have a relationship to each other when you're shopping around. Like I said, when I bought my press, it had like an MDF base that literally was just like a slab of MDF cut out. <laughs> and so like if you wanted to DIY it, you probably could. 
over time, that's going to like bruise and indent and not be even. But like if you just got your press and you're like chomping at the bit to go print something, if you have the means to lock in a piece of MDF, like go at it. Have fun. Yeah. I I actually, um, with the help of my boyfriend, I have like on my small press, I've never used it on my big four model, but I, um, <laughs> mine's like a piece of wood with like another piece of wood glued to it. And like we clamped it and leveled it and like made sure it was like flat. Um, and it does work. The biggest problem I had with the wood base, like the alternative DIY version was that my plates would stick to it and like it would rip off some of the wood. So over only a couple of times, it was already like no longer as effective. So definitely something to consider, but a good like band-aid fix, I would say. Like it's yeah. an option, but it's not the best. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just remember too that that base had a magnetic strip on the back, which was brilliant. Like I props to this person. They really thought about everything because it fit nicely in the chase, but it wasn't locked in by anything. But because yeah. it was a magnet on the back, it just like stayed in place. Wild. That's like, yeah. it must have been a really strong magnets too. No, it was like, you know how you could buy like a sheet, a flat sheet of magnet. Yeah. And they ran it through the press like that? Well, it was in the chase, but it wasn't super tight in the chase. Like actually yeah. when I would go and take the chase off, the freaking magnet thing would stay. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, yeah. So that's actually really funny. You bring up magnets. I'm thinking again, like, so in the letterpress course I took, like, not for printing per se, but they definitely use magnets a lot, like when setting lead type to help them like keep the type in place while they were like finalizing it. So making adjustments, running a proof and checking that your letters were all the right letters, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, you could do that in like a galley press too, like one that doesn't have inking rollers. Um, so if you're inking with a brayer, uh, you could use magnet to like help you with type as well. So that could be a nice benefit. Yeah. Cool. So I think that covers like everything that you would need to print. Although you did just mention a brayer and it's not a necessity <laughs> by any means, but damn, is it super handy to have. Yeah. I think so like a brayer, <gasps> it's essentially a roller for your ink, right? So it's to help like it's, it comes in handy when you're trying to make sure the ink is the right color. It also comes in handy if you're like, you have a really like troublesome ink that you need to just spread out quickly on the ink disc or something. Like I think I have certain colors and I know you do too. Like the green that I have is super thick and like it takes forever if I just let my press ink it up. But if I run a brayer over it, it goes a lot faster. So I think a, a brayer is like a nice addition to the repertoire, but definitely not a necessity. Um, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So, so you've printed. Yay. You've got all your tools to print. You've printed. And now you got a huge ass mess sitting around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you've probably heard us mention that letterpress ink like is sticky and it's hard to wash off. So it like ends up everywhere if you're not careful. So to clean up, uh, I highly recommend and live by gloves. <laughs> gloves, gloves, gloves. Have all yeah. the gloves. I actually saw somebody on one of the Facebook groups the other day mention this, I think. Um, I unfortunately don't remember who it was, so I apologize. But they um, said, you know, they used latex gloves or whatever for a long time, disposable gloves. But they started using, like, really thick leather gloves to uh, clean up their press and because it was more eco-friendly. And I thought that was really smart. Um, and they said, like, you know, they used them 
so many times before the ink started getting through to their fingers and stuff. So, um, you know, if you're trying to be a little more eco-conscious um, or you just don't like disposable gloves, uh, that could be a good option for at least cleanup. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a fun alternative that I just learned about. Yeah, I saw that post, too, and I was like, that's brilliant because I actually – so I do use disposable gloves, but I reuse them like only if my rings or my nails poke through will I toss one out. So like I have like a whole like process where once I'm done cleaning everything else, I also clean up the gloves so that I could just yeah. keep reusing them. Um, and I know it takes extra time, but like I hate the idea of throwing them away every time they get some ink on them. Yeah, I so I spent some time working in the medical field and uh, cannot do that. I cannot bring myself to like there's a specific way you take it off when you have possible bodily fluids on them. And so I mm -hmm. just do that by nature now. So I probably wouldn't be able to save them. But I am pretty I've OK. So like when I first started, I definitely ended up with ink like everywhere. And my boyfriend hated it. Like it was on doorknobs and like, you know, <laughs> then it would be like showing up two days later because you touch that doorknob again. Like I've gotten really good now where like I only use gloves for cleanup. I don't like need them for ink mixing. I don't need them for the rest of my process. Like, you know, as you get better at it, you'll make less of a mess. Um, hypothetically mm -hmm. anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I only use them for cleanup. So I am pretty good about that. Like basically every time I ink up the press, I'm going to use one set of gloves to clean it up, mm -hmm. which is still not great. You know, we try, I think both of you and I are pretty conscious about doing what we can to be a little environmentally friendly whenever possible. But yeah, mm -hmm. I'm definitely not that good. I don't save my gloves and reuse them. I am not shy about taking them off and throwing them in the garbage. <laughs> That's funny. I'm though. curious as to what kind of gloves you use, though, because I think the ones that I use, I mean, it helps that they're a little bit bigger. Like they're not like super form fitting, but yeah. they're not the super thin rubber gloves. They're the Neo something, Neo whatever they're thicker so it it actually does make it easy like I actually slide them off like this do do yeah. do, 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 do and so I easy. I definitely have had larger like sets because like if my boyfriend were using gloves for anything like a, a home like a DIY project or something like he obviously wouldn't be able to wear small ones <laughs> right like so I've I've definitely used like large or medium ones um but I think it really has to do with our nails like and jewelry um because most yeah. often when like you, like as women we're so used to using our nails for things like mm -hmm. scraping things off and all of that like and they're already long and sharp in most occasions in most in most situations so I think that the nails has a lot to do with the gloves uh breaking the word I was looking for before is neoprene and nitrile yeah. um which I see a lot of things advertising as nitrile free so nitrile is probably not something you want around but anyway the neoprene gloves are what I use and I just want to mention it because I did a lot of research and it sucked because it was happening during the pandemic where like you couldn't find a glove anywhere yeah. but I was having the problem of my nails were my nails and my rings were ripping through um like every pair of gloves that I had yeah. <laughs> and I was just yeah. like I need something thicker so if you're if you're on the market you're looking for thick gloves I literally typed thick disposable gloves into Google and the second thing that came up were the ones that I use. Yeah. Yeah. 
We just scratched the surface with gloves. Yeah. You're also going to need um, towels. Now, I'm interested to have this conversation with you, Mariah, because I, I'm i kind of someone where, like, if I do something once, like, if it's not broken, I won't fix it. So the first yeah. types of towels I used for my press were the blue mechanic paper towels. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? They're called about? blue shop towels. Yeah. Thank you. The blue shop towels. Yeah. Um, I had a couple microfiber towels and Zach was like, you should use these because you could blah, blah, blah. But like, unless you are going to an industrial place to have them washed, like I feel like you're just creating problems because you're going to be putting ink and whatever into a washing machine that you then are going to put your clothes. No, thank you. Okay. So disclaimer, if you're using mineral spirits to wash your press or press wash, you do not want to be laundering those rags at home. At all. Period. 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 Yeah. You certainly don't want to be putting them in the dryer. Um, Yeah. But even let's say like you were using... Because here, here's my process is like when I clean down, I use the paper towels to like stop up a lot of the mess. And then I'll use like an old ragged t-shirt to like wipe down the fine thing. I still don't. I will never launder that. Like they just yeah. get tossed. Yeah. Okay. So let's first maybe talk about like mineral spirits and stuff and then get back into towels. Okay. Because okay. Yeah, yeah. I okay. think that'll change like what you should use. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, so yeah. to clean up your press, there are some different options. Um. I personally use baby oil or mineral spirits. Those are kind of the two things that I keep on hand to wash my press up and get all the ink off the ink disc and the rollers. Um, I usually use baby oil and then kind of finish with like one rinse of mineral spirits, if you will. Um, Just for me, I like to use less chemicals. Um, It's I like the smell of baby oil. (laughs) So that's kind of it. And um, those are the two things that I use. You use press wash, don't you? No, I use... I use vegetable oil and okay. then I use a spritz of mineral spirits. Yep. And then I clean all of that up with um isopropyl alcohol. Oh wow, you're so fancy. Well, I just feel like and and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I felt like the mineral spirits was always leaving a residue on my ink disc that I would totally agree. mess would mess around with the way that the ink like spreads on the ink disc. Yeah. So I love that the IPA and like one little swipe, like you could just see like there's no sheen to it at all. It is like the driest surface. I never even would have thought about isopropyl alcohol as like a finished, uh, like a final stage. Um, I usually just use like a dry, clean paper towel to try and get up as much of that as I can. Um, Mm And I use very, very little mineral spirits. Like it's literally just like to make sure that whatever ink I put on there next, is not going to have any trace of that black left in it. Yeah. And it's crazy because you really only need a little. Like I used to really spray it, but then I noticed when I was cleaning up ink elsewhere, like the tiniest bit of mineral spirits will like totally eliminate whatever it is that you're wiping down. Totally. I love it. Honestly, it's like I um, one time I left my ink on my press for I will not tell you how long. And um, I was like super panicked. And when I realized I was like, oh my God, I never cleaned up my press. And Mineral Spirits was like, yeah, no problem. I got it. Like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, it was pretty, it was, it was funny anyway. So, you know, if you leave it. your ink on your press for a little while, don't worry too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I don't really know much about press wash. Um, 
or I think it's called also called California wash. Do I know that? Is that right? Does that sound right? That sounds right. Um, the one thing that you want to be careful with when picking whatever solution you're going to use to clean your press is you want to think about your rollers. Um, because like I noticed when I was getting my rollers refurbished on their website, they told you like, do not use X, Y, Z on these rollers. And so like, that's really important. There's going to be a lot of information out in the universe, but you can specifically research like what your rollers are and what they're compatible with. Um, a good rule of thumb is to never use water. Like water on your iron press is a no-go and water on your rubber rollers is a no-go. Yeah. So you want to avoid like water-based things. But yeah, there's like controversy as to whether or not mineral spirits is the way to go. Yeah. And again, we're not experts. We're just telling you what we do and what we know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're just here to share our own knowledge. We yeah. are definitely not experts. Um, and if you believe that we're wrong, we'd love to hear from you. So send us an email. Um, <laughs> apparently, California wash is actually like less uh, less hazardous and more eco-friendly than some of the other options. So we may have to do some more research on that. But California wash may be a good option. Um, it's uh, Non-photochemically re- reactive, water-miscible wash, California wash. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it seems to be... It is water-soluble, though. So, I don't really know... So, that's... that's oh, no, sorry. Can... Permits mixing with water because it's, you know, because it's water-miscible. Water yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, that could be a good option. Yes. And it's worth noting that whatever you're going to use to wash your press you need to think about its entire lifespan, what you're wiping it up with, where that thing is going, what are the impacts of that thing? Because if you use anything that's like, let's say flammable, and then you just go throw your trash out and then your dumpster catches on fire because it's 2020. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a, it's much bigger. It's much bigger, like thought process, um, which I think is why I use baby oil. (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> I'm like, it's baby oil. It's super safe. You know, like, I think that's why, like, you know, maybe that's the easy route or, or a cop out. But like, it just, I sleep easy at night knowing that it's baby oil. Like, it may not be the best thing, but, you know, it works. And yeah. it's safe. And that's what I'm happy with. There was a whole thread on how to help your shop be better for, like, pregnant women. Like, some someone who asked the question is like, I just found out I'm pregnant, but I work in a print shop like what can I do and all of the things were about the different chemicals that you come in contact with and so like using baby oil like all of that kind of stuff was recommended in there so yeah I mean if it's safe for a pregnant woman to use then that's what I'm gonna go with yeah (laughs) like it's not like it's hard to clean our press the baby oil works well I actually use vegetable oil but um Either way, it works great. Yeah. Vegetable oil is probably a little less expensive. Uh, The baby oil certainly adds up. (laughs) (laughs) Got oil? Lather up those babies. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So that's a good way to segue into uh, the towels that you use. So um, I – okay. So you said you started with blue shop towels. And uh, what do you use? And then what do you – so that's like your first run. Is that the first thing you use to like initially clean up? 
Yeah, so I'll use the shop towels until like 90% of the ink is completely off the disc and the rollers. And then I put IPA on a microfiber towel and I use, or a t-shirt, and I use that to like finish up the job. And do you just like cut scraps of old t-shirts or do you like, do you have like a pile of t-shirts you just like pull from or what do you like, where do you, I don't even know. I would not know what to do to get t-shirts. I just, I cut scraps. We, (laughs) we go through a lot of t-shirts because Zach will like rip them at work, whatever. Um, Yeah, I guess. And his work gives him like cheap t-shirts a lot, but we also use like old socks, like pretty, anything that we have lying around that can be laundered and then just taken out to the garage to be used as a rag. We yeah. will u- I'll use as a rag. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um yeah, and I know also like a lot of t-shirts are t-shirts are popular because like certain t-shirts are lint-free too. So like that's usually a popular choice I think for other printers. Um mm-hmm. i.e. I've heard other people that I've heard of other people that use t-shirts as well. Um mm-hmm. Obviously, like if you're capable of having an industrial, you know, system in place where you have a bin for your biohazard towels and rags and can have somebody come and get them and launder them for you, like that'd be the best case scenario. And if you're setting up a a real shop, you'd probably do that. But um, if you're using any kind of like, you know, press wash or, you know, probably even California wash and I mean, mineral spirits, you would Mm -hmm. probably not want to launder those at home. Um, and in some cases you probably like legally would be irresponsible to do that, um, just for liability's sake. But so like, (laughs) I digress. Um, so yeah, I just use, I use blue shop towels. Uh, that's my thing. I have stuck with them and I do keep like regular paper towels on hand for like cleaning up my like ink mixing tray, like the initial like getting the big gunks of stuff and like even the ink knives too sometimes. But I usually the only time if I do use regular paper towels, I absolutely always finish it up with a blue shop towel just to get any lint because the shop towels, what's great about them is that they're pretty inexpensive, they're disposable, and they're pretty lint free. Like they're very minimally linty. So um, your regular paper towel, which if you ever become a printer and do this you'll learn regular paper towels have a boatload of lint (laughs) (laughs) they're like the lintiest paper out there um yeah so the blue shop towels are not perfect but they're much better than regular paper towels uh they're also just like way thicker and they can stop up things like oil and everything which is why they're made to do what they're made to do and why mechanics use them so so absorbent it's amazing and what i love about it is like with a blue shop towel you could have a fairly dirty blue shop towel and still make it work for you. Like usually whatever the, whichever towel I use to clean the press last, like the last towel I use, I don't throw that away. I save it. And then that's the first towel I use to clean the press the next time because they could go. So so until it is a hundred percent saturated and dripping with ink, you could keep using that sucker. Like, yeah, it goes a long way. 
Yeah, I also like, I take the whole, like, you know, they come in like the sheets, like the squares, like your regular paper towels. And I will literally cut it into like pieces, like eight pieces and use tiny bits for like random stuff. So I use like one shop towel to get like my rollers clean. <laughs> you know, like Sometimes like it's a dialogue in my head when I'm cleaning up. I'm like so proud of myself because I'm like, I just cleaned the whole press with a quarter of this shop rack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely like, I always have like a little stack of like pre-cut ones so that like yeah. I can just grab them. Um, and especially like while I'm printing to like wipe my hands on something other than my apron. I always have one too, just like in case you need to wipe like your fee tray or your, you know, platen gets inked, like your acetate gets ink on it, something like that. So um, yeah, the blue shop towels are what I use and yeah, they're pretty solid. I mean, they're pretty hard to beat. Like if you're not using any serious chemicals, uh, it's a pretty easy, easy choice. Yeah. You'll still want to dispose of them responsibly, like if you're using any kind of chemicals. So I actually keep a separate garbage bag because I have so much waste in my shop, which is kind of annoying. But like I have a lot of paper scraps from my from my make ready. And then I also have like discarded prints that, you know, I'll print on like five times before I finally yeah. like toss it out. Um, so all of that goes into one trash bin and then all of my rags go into a different trash bin. And I just make sure that I'm not putting that in the dumpster when I know it's going to sit there for a week or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. So that's kind of everything you need to take care of your press. Yeah. That'll get you going. Is there anything else that you want to add on? Yeah. I think one other thing I want to add on is because I use like misprints over and over and over again. And I always have like a stack of paper next to my press. I have a little cart. It's like every cardstock, every paper, like random bits of handmade paper, everything I've ever printed on when I have misprints or like when I use pieces for helping me up like a line of plate, I always just put them in that stack. Like I'm not going to like sell those or use those or send them off to a client. So I just put them back in my little stack and I use them to line up the next job and I cut them and I <laughs> try that. I, I literally print over and over and over again on them. Um, definitely have like on hand close to your press random scrap paper like just so you have something extra to print on like when you want to check registration or you know that kind of thing so you don't have to use up all of your good probably more expensive paper um and yeah. to just reduce waste you know just to like make sure you're making the most of of what you have and and using it as many times as you can yeah so yeah i'll add one well i'll actually add two kind of similar to that um so in addition to having like text weight paper or anything that I've previously printed on, I love to have a magazine or something that I otherwise would have thrown out on hand because when I'm creating my make ready, sometimes even like a text weight paper is a little too much filled up, but like a tissue paper or a magazine paper is like exactly the weight that I need. So keeping like a variety of paper stocks on hand that are totally disposable to you, like not like, oh, you went to Michael's and you bought a bunch of like 85 pound card stock, like because yeah. it was on sale, like not even that, like I'm talking about like the stuff that would go straight from the mailbox to the recycling <laughs> yes. bin. Yeah. That stuff. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And um, whenever I get like gifts or anything, if the tissue paper isn't too like mangled, I actually keep that tissue paper as well. Because like I said, sometimes you need like the thinnest, tiniest bit of packing and regular paper is going to be too much. So yeah. um, those are two things I keep on hand. And then the other one I wanted to mention 
is an apron. It took me two years to finally get an apron. I still don't wear it every time. And then I'm going to show Mariah right now. I end up with situations like this where now there is this oh, line. No. Right where like, you lean on the feed board. Yeah. Yes. That's so funny. Yes. So just get an apron and wear the apron because otherwise you're going to mess up all your nice shirts. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about, I want to tell you one random thing. And I mentioned it earlier, one little life hack for getting ink out of the tins. If you use the two, like the, the tins, um, is popsicle sticks. I don't remember where I learned this. Somebody somewhere probably shared it. And I was like, that's brilliant. But I like to get the wide, like one inch, like or something like that, uh, popsicle sticks. And I break them in half because, you know, we uh, obviously like yeah. to reuse as much as possible. And I uh, I use those to get ink out of the tin and onto my ink mixing, like, palette. So That's freaking amazing. That yeah. is so smart. Yeah, because, like, they're, I mean, they're super cheap, obviously. But, like, you know, then you can leave it in the bin until you're done. And you have, like, one half a popsicle stick for every color you're using. And it's way easier than cleaning your ink knife 28 times and then, I it all started because I definitely got like black or blue or something into my my opaque white so it's very obvious fortunately but like mm-hmm. getting into your transparent white's annoying because it's like soup it's like once it's in there it's in there you know like <laughs> the opaque white at least is like solid enough that like you can you can work around it you know or like dig that section uh-huh. out but yeah it uh it was all over yeah so that was like yeah. I need to figure something out and that works that works so well so 10 out of 10 recommend getting some popsicle sticks uh probably not what you expected to be on this list but I think absolutely necessary um and inexpensive too so you know a fun a fun little hack there for you I will be going out tomorrow to buy myself some popsicle sticks <laughs> yeah it really it really makes a big difference like when you're mixing ink it's already a pain enough, you know, like make it as easy on yourself as you can. Cause ink mixing can be very frustrating. Um, and even having several ink knives, like you still, you know, you pick up the wrong one to mix and then all of a sudden you have no ink knife for that one color, you know? So it's just, it, it's just so easy. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. And awesome. then do you want to mention your last one? Oh yeah. Oh my God. How could I forget this last one? Because it's something we both use religiously. This is like, I, like I have gotten, it's the holy grail. It's number one. I use this more than anything else um, when I'm printing, I think. Well, okay, paper, probably ink, whatever. I but use like, an embarrassing amount of this. Ditto. <laughs> I have ended up with this um, everywhere because I use it and I just like throw it throw it everywhere when I'm done with it because uh you know just how I am and uh drum roll please it is blue painter's tape blue painter's tape it is I mean get it in any color I don't care what color it is it could be probably regular masking tape but I like the blue Um, no I will actually say I've tried regular masking tape and it is not as good as blue painter's tape yeah so the blue painter's tape it's stickier And Mm -hmm. it tears like off the, like you never get like, I've tried other brands and other like types of tape and it like, you know how like when it peels like saran wrap and like the edge sticks and then Mm -hmm. it comes in like weird, oh God, no, the blue painter's tape is ride or die. Um, We, you and I both, I think do the same thing. So we use it to line up our plates and we use it to uh, pack up our paper when we need certain areas to get more impression. Um, I use it all the time. I use so much of it. Um, 
Yeah, and I literally like end up with it on my shoes. My dog has had it on it before. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's sticky. So like when you're trying to like get the press running and you like have one little piece yeah. you need to get rid of, it just like gets stuck to your hand and you like throw it and it like doesn't make it in the garbage. Yeah, anyway. So blue yeah. painter's tape, definitely a necessity in my shop. Uh, it's up there as like number one MVP. Definitely like, yeah. I, I don't really know what I would do without it, honestly. I don't either. Like I've used. Wait, how would I register a plate? <laughs> I've used so much tape in the past, like forty-eight hours, like resolving all these issues with Gordy. That it's not even funny. Like, yeah, so much tape. I need yeah. to buy stock in whoever makes blue paint or safe. I think it's like Scotch or something. I think it's 3M, um, which is amazing. It is 3M. Support. Um, <laughs> I actually have it in a couple different widths, which is really cool when you have a really unperfect like impression area um like we do and it's great because like the wider like what is it like two inches or whatever Mm -hmm. it is um is great for that kind of thing because like if you need a whole area and you don't want to like hit one of those edges with your like text or whatever it is so um the larger piece of tape comes in handy sometimes too so that'd be a nice secondary option but definitely start with like the classic like one inch or whatever it is uh painter's tape because that stuff is gold yep Well, this was awesome. So we hope that uh, this has given you a very good in-depth list of things to consider if you are just buying a press or if you just bought a press um, and you want to get ready to print right away. These are all the things that you definitely want to consider having. If there's anything we forgot, we would love for you to let us know because we will definitely include it. (laughs) Um, Help all the other printers out and tell us your favorite tools and tricks to have in your shop. Um, Because, you know, there are certain things you would never expect, like popsicle sticks um, that people have come up with. And there's lots of brilliance out there in the printing world. So share with us. If you haven't listened already, we uh, started off this Getting Started series with, uh, you know, outsourcing letterpress jobs and learning a little about the file uh, setup requirements and what you would need to know before sending a project off to print. And then our second part was uh, looking for a press. So if you are a designer or somebody who loves letterpress and wants to get your own press, you have to go listen to episode seven. Um, It is called Getting Started buying a press so you'll be able to find it and uh yeah super helpful way to we'll tell you everything you need to know about the different types of presses what to look for what to look out for and what to kind of think about when deciding what kind of press to get so yeah yay all right thanks for tuning in guys bye Bye.